Welcome to the Friends of a Feather podcast, a place where you will feel encouraged by hearing God's stories from my friends that I share with you. Whether you're listening on your commute to work, folding the laundry, or needing a boost of encouragement after a full day, I want for you to feel seen by God, to be encouraged in your daily life, and be spurred on to honor Him with the gifts and talents that He has given you. Last week, I re-aired an episode with my friend Colby as she shared her God story of having cystic fibrosis and walking through a double lung transplant and seeing God at work in her life. You can listen to it one episode back, number 121. Today's episode is with Glenna Marshall. Glenna is a believer, a pastor's wife, mother, speaker, author, and singer-songwriter. Glenna shares her God story with us and how she overcame the imposter syndrome as an adoptive mama and how she expresses gratitude even when she has a meal that is non-compliant to her autoimmune disease. But we spent the last half of the episode talking about the exciting recent church merge that Glenna and her husband have walked through this past fall. God led them to merge with another church and create a gospel-focused, racially diverse church called Grace Bible Fellowship. We talk about how we can have no racial reconciliation if it's not based on Jesus. A much-needed conversation to air. As always, you can find the show notes at renrobbins.com and hear the quotes that Glenna shares on this episode. So let's get to it. Here is my conversation with Glenna. Welcome to the podcast, Glenna. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. So this is cool. Um, one of my listeners and friends in real life, Ashley, uh, reached out to me and was like, Ren, you've got to have Glenna on the podcast. I think she, her story is amazing and would be great for everybody to hear. And she, her husband is actually your cousin. So. Yeah, it's great. So my, yeah, her husband and, and I are first cousins and, uh, grew up you know, in Memphis together and yeah, small world. I know it's such a small world. And when she said it, I was like, I follow her on Instagram. So I know funny. her. <laughs> so it was great. It was, it was perfect connection uh, for us to make, but, um, for, in just, uh, like 30 seconds, can you yeah. tell us who you are and a little bit about yourself, your day-to-day life, your family, um, introduce yourself to us. Yeah. Well, I am a pastor's wife. My husband, William, and I have been living in Southeast Missouri for, well, going on 15 years. Um, we have two boys, uh, Isaiah, who's almost 12 and Ian, who's almost five. And so we just live and minister in our local church in Southeast Missouri. And, um, I write as much as I can in what little free time there, <laughs> there is with two kids and church ministry. And I mean, the church ministry really is our life. And, you know, we live in a small town and so we're very much, um, you know, living in the community and, you know, it's a kind of town where it's like everybody roots for the home team and it's not very big. And so everyone knows each other and so, which is kind of fun. I mean, moving here from a larger city, it it took some time to get used to, but it's really grown on me the last 15 years. And so, yeah, I've written a couple of books, one that came out last August and one that's coming out this summer. And I'm just really thankful for the life and ministry the Lord's given me. That's great. I love how you said on 
I don't know if it's on Instagram or your website, which I totally stalked you on both. <laughs> um, uh, you said I'm a full-time mom with a part-time ministry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And obviously being a mom is our ministry, uh, a full-time ministry, but um, I like how you said that so that it's, you know, full-time you're a mom and a wife and a pastor's wife. That's a huge, but um, part-time speaking and singing and writing. That's a lot Mm -hmm. to. um, Yeah, it is. And I, but I really, I've tried to put some boundaries in place. It would be easy to become a full-time like ministry person Mm -hmm. outside of my home. But you know, my kids are only young for such a short time and my primary ministry has to be to my local church. I really feel like that's important. And so I feel like my home life ministry and then my church ministry really have to come first before that other stuff, but I have a really, really supportive husband who encourages me to use my gifts. I would not have written any books or any blog posts or any songs for anyone to hear if it had not been for him really standing behind me. And that it's funny because I would say it's probably about, I don't know, maybe eight years ago or so he turned to me one day and said, you have supported me in ministry all of these years. And it dawns on me that I am not supporting you and yours. And he just made this big about face and was like, look, in, in order for you to use your gifts, I know that will require me to you know, be at home more or take the boys over weekends so that you can go and speak at women's retreats and things like that. And he has backed that up ever since. And so I travel about once a month to speak at women's retreats or conferences. And when I say travel, I mean like travel, like I'm going to California mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks and, um, and he'll just hold down the fort even though he's got his full-time ministry and I really could not do anything without his support. Yeah. That's neat. Uh, do you travel, do you have boundaries where you're saying, okay, I'm going to travel once a month, twice a month. Okay. Yeah. Once a month is what we try to limit it to. And also I don't, um, I don't like to miss my own church services if possible. And sometimes that's not possible. Like if I'm going to take a speaking engagement, just like, for example, this month I'm going to California and I'm going to have to fly back on a Sunday, which I really don't like to do. So we, my husband and I sit and talk about it and we make a couple exceptions here and there, but mostly I try not to miss my own local church involvement and I try to limit it to once a month. And that means I can be with my kids the rest of the month, you know, day to day afternoons. I can do the rest of my work from home. And that is a real gift. That is, that is, that's great. I love that. Okay. So I'm going to be doing this interview, um, a little different. Usually I just jump right in and we talk about your story and, uh, which we are going to do, but there are so many truth nuggets that you have either said on Instagram or you have put as a comment in Instagram. I really did stalk you. I'm serious. Um, (laughs) or, uh, a blog post that you wrote or, uh, so I really want to just come at it as reading quotes and things that I love about you and have seen from you and then talk about your story throughout those quotes, if that works for you. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So the first thing that I love about you and that I have seen from you is that you are a studier of God's word. You are um, fully in deep, deep study of his word. I think you have been in um, James for the past year. No, Matthew. I'm memorizing James, James, yeah, but I've been studying Matthew for the past year. And so I just love that about you. And um, this is what you said. And I love this quote that you said. 
you said, you know, normally we are coming to God with our hurts and then we go and find the scripture that will help us. Mm-hmm. Instead, let's start with the word of God. Let's start with who he is mm-hmm. and learn about that first. Mm-hmm. Tell yeah. me a little bit about that. Yeah. So that kind of way of thinking dates back about probably 10 years when I was in the midst of struggling with infertility and I was really struggling with what I believed about God because I looked around at everyone else in my life who had no trouble having the children that they wanted and, you know, starting and completing their families and then just kind of sitting there waiting for the Lord to do something for me that he was not doing. And so looking at my circumstances, I would say, well, maybe he loves them more than he loves me. And if he loves them more than he loves me, then he's probably, probably really doesn't love me that much. And if he doesn't love me that much, then he's probably not very good. And if he's not very good, then he's not good at all. And so I'm looking Mm. at this thing that I lacked and saying, this is therefore what is true about God. And that was getting me nowhere. I mean, it was, it was Mm. affecting everything in my life. And I realized, okay, I am basing my theology upon things that are happening to me. I, I have, instead of like going to the scripture, I mean, I was looking, going to scripture, looking for some kind of promise that this was going to end. Like the Lord's going to end my infertility and it's definitely going to end in a child and he's going to give me what I want. And I looked for that and it wasn't there. And what I did find is that God's character was going to redefine the way that I thought about him according to the word that he had given. And so I began, rather than going to the Bible, like a physician's desk reference or a magic eight ball, you know, like just some specific thing that's going to make me feel better. uh, I just began going to the scripture and asking Lord, who are you? I don't know who you are anymore because my life says that you're distant, you're unloving, you have forgotten about me, or maybe you don't like me very much, or maybe you're punishing me for something. And I don't know what's true anymore. So I began going to the scriptures and just asking this question, who are you? Who are you? And I would get a spiral notebook out and a pen, and I would just read through books of the Bible and write down every answer to that question. And just the cumulative effect of that over the course of several years was absolutely life-changing. And I realized that if I could start by looking at who he is, then my circumstances make more sense because if he is withholding something from me, I mean, the Psalm says that the Lord withholds no good thing from those that he loves. And so if he is withholding something that seems good to me, it is because it is actually not good for me. And so he is doing something else that is for his glory and for my good. That's hard to see when you're just looking at the things you lack, but when you start instead with letting God define who he is through his authoritative and inerrant word, then under that umbrella, things kind of fall into place. Not that it's necessarily easier to struggle with infertility, but it it's easier to submit to the Lord's will for your life and his plan. It's easier to submit to his no when you absolutely understand that he is good. And so if he is good and he is loving, just like he says in scripture, then his no must be for a greater purpose. I didn't know this, but he was going to give me two boys through adoption. And so I can look at my boys now and say, oh, absolutely worth all the longing and the pain and the questions and the wondering. And so but if I had started way back then, I probably could have saved myself a lot of, you know, bitterness and, and just uncertainty about who God was and his care for me. 
Mm. That's such a good thing for us to, that's just a, a good truth to go back to is who is he, who is God, who he is. Um, I love that you are memorizing James, which mm-hmm. is no easy feat, right? <laughs> right. Um, I loved watching your Insta stories, how you were uh, talking about scripture memorization mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, and I, I love that part of that. So I, I can see how you are going to God's word and putting mm-hmm. it in your heart and your mind and uh, going to him first instead mm-hmm. of let's look at our hearts or our circumstances and then mm-hmm. find the scripture. Um, something else I want that I really love about you is that you're very gracious. Um, you have a quote that you said, gratitude is more important than one non-compliant meal. Oh yeah. (laughs) And so tell me a little bit about this. This is talking about, you know, community going to someone's house Mm -hmm. and you are grateful for what they prepared for you and you Mm -hmm even though you have some dietary restrictions for your health. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. That's, that's a good question. So I was diagnosed about four and a half years ago with an autoimmune disease called ankylosing spondylitis. And that diagnosis came on the heels of six years of chronic pain and the chronic pain also was mingled with a lot of church ministry difficulties and our second adoption process, which was very tough. And, you know, I really was struggling during that season of my life. And um, I finally got a diagnosis and worked towards healing physically through some dietary changes that were, I will just be honest, really hard, <laughs> very strict. Um, I lost a lot of weight doing it. And I, I mean, I felt so much better. I mean, I went every day from my pain being a nine or a 10 on the pain scale down to a zero to one over the course of about wow. six months. Wow. Yeah, it was really, really amazing. Um, by the time I got to the specialist who I had to wait to see, I was well on my way to being better once I knew what was wrong with me and researched and figure out how to get it under control. And so what's hard about that is being a ministry wife and, you know, so much of our community and fellowship revolves around food, which is a little bit hard. Um, you know, our church eats together every Sunday afternoon. We have a potluck every single Sunday and as a ministry wife, I'm in people's homes and, or Mm -hmm. people are coming to my house and I'm preparing food for them. And so I have had to be very careful with my approach to my dietary changes and make some exceptions, even if I have to incur a little bit of cost for that physically, because sometimes, you know, loving others and putting others before yourself means taking a hit. Now, if if I had a disease like celiac or something like that, where I physically could not eat something, you know, I I know the people in my life would be understanding, but my um, dietary changes have a cumulative effect. So, you know, one meal that's not compliant is not going to kill me. So yeah, living in community, trying to find that balance between doing what's good for my physical health and also loving others. I think that's really hard. And I think that's probably not a very popular opinion just because of the whole, like, you know, take care of you, self-care, love yourself, that kind of message that is very pervasive these days, even in Christian circles. And there are certain things I have to do to take care of my health. Like that's just got to happen. Um, but there are also times when I can make sacrifices for, 
the body of believers that I worship with each week and in and, and fellowship. And so I find that that is a sacrifice I can make sometimes. Yeah. Well, I think that just shows the character of you and how gracious you are to not let one meal, you know, interrupt mm -hmm. that. Well, you talked a little bit about adoption um, mm -hmm. earlier, mm -hmm. and I want to ask you a little bit. Uh, there was a quote that, well, there was actually something that happened where you were, uh, had adopted your first child, your first son, and you were in the hospital and you were bringing him home. Y'all were bringing him home. You were in the wheelchair. They were wheeling you out and they're like, yeah, moms and babies right in here. And you kind of were like, but wait, I'm not a mom, you know, yeah. and, and you had that feeling. And so you said, I'm a, but then you came to realize that, um, God was really, uh, in, just in your heart about, yes, you are. Yes, you are a mother. Um, and you said, I'm a mother because I was entrusted with this child. Right. So tell me a little bit about the mom guilt that you were walking through as uh, an, a mom who has adopted. Tell me about that. Yeah. You know, that's a really complex feeling. I've talked to a few other adoptive moms about this. Um, I, it was the, it is most hospital policy <laughs> that if you are taking a newborn baby out of the hospital, that they will wheel you out in the wheelchair because that's what they do for every new mom because yeah. most mothers have just delivered and have trouble walking yeah. that far, you know? <laughs> and so I remember when we were discharged with our oldest son and we were leaving the hospital and they wheeled around a wheelchair and they told me to sit in it. And I just looked at them like, I'm perfectly capable of walking. Thank you. <laughs> and they said, no, it's hospital policy. We have uh -huh. to wheel you out. And so yeah. here I am. I've not just given birth. You know, right. I have like perfectly applied makeup and hair, <laughs> you know, and I'm dressed. And so I'm like, okay. So I sit in the wheelchair and they wheeled me through the hospital and it was such a surreal feeling. And I look back on it now and I think how kind of them to do that for me, to give me the experience of feeling like a mom. I mean, that was their policy, yeah. but still. Yeah. And I remember feeling too, like, I don't deserve this. This is not the role. I, I just didn't feel like a mom. I also feel like I was taking someone else's baby. That was an odd sensation, even though his biological mother had given us a hundred percent blessings. And, um, you know, so I, I had all these like self-imposed feelings of guilt or unworthiness. And I will be honest with you. So my son is now 11 and a half and I recently dug into this issue again in counseling. And I'm still working through the fact that as an adoptive mom, I sometimes feel like I have to prove myself that I am really a mom because I feel like I started nine months behind everyone else. Mm. And I, I don't know that I consciously had that thought until I was in a counseling session recently with this couple that counsels my husband and me, we have been in some like ministry counseling after being in ministry for 15 years, we yeah. have uh, needed some, um, just some encouragement and things yeah. to help us persevere. And so we've been meeting with his counselors. And one of the things that's really come up for me is kind of my fear of what other people think of me as a mom. And some of that stems from this feeling of, of all the way back to that day in the hospital, sitting in that wheelchair thinking, they don't know who I really am. I'm not really a mom, you know? Mm. And so I um, was sitting in counseling not too long ago and one of my counselors said to me exactly the thing that I had written years ago, but she said, Glenna, you didn't start behind. You started at exactly the point that the Lord ordained for you to start with your son. He has entrusted your boys to you. 
You didn't start behind. You started exactly when God wanted you to, and you are equipped to be their mother because he has made you their mother. So you have everything you need. And she said, look, I have birthed five children and her children are grown. And she said, I still feel like I never had any idea what I was doing. So what you're feeling, this imposter or guilt or feel like you're pulling the wool over everyone's eyes that you're not really a good mom or you're not really a mom. She said, I felt that with every one of my children and it's completely normal. And it was so freeing, even after mm. being a mom for almost 12 years, like so freeing to hear someone say that to me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So what would you say to someone who is maybe feeling the imposter syndrome, maybe mm. not as a mom, but maybe in ministry or maybe uh, as a friend or maybe as a wife, what would you say to them? I would say that you need to go back and remember who you are in Christ first, because Anything that, like any role that you are in, whether that's in ministry or as a friend or as a wife or as a mom, you didn't get there by yourself. I mean, I firmly believe the Lord is sovereign over our lives. In Psalm 139, David talks about the Lord ordering our days before any of them came to be. And I I find a lot of comfort in that because that helps me see when I feel like I'm faking it or people don't really know that I'm not as good at this as I would like to be or as I pretend to be. Um, It's no accident that I'm here. It's no accident that my boys are my boys, that I am a pastor's wife, that the friends that I have are the ones that I have. The Lord has sovereignly knit my life together and I am not always going to do everything right. And I'm not going to make the right choices all of the time. That doesn't mean that the Lord is losing control of his plan for my life. And so if I feel like I'm not where I want to be, or I'm not doing exactly what I had hoped I would be doing, or Mm. I'm not doing it as well as she is, or it doesn't come as naturally to me as it does for her. You know, the Lord has made me with purpose. My identity is firmly rooted in who he has made me to be. And, you know, when Jesus died and paid for my sins at the cross and when he saved me, that changed who I am. And so before I am a wife, a mom, a friend, a pastor's wife, a Bible teacher, whatever, writer, before I am any of those things, I belong to Christ. And my identity is rooted in who he is and how he has obeyed. The, he obeyed God perfectly when he lived on earth. He, have, <clears throat> he died. He was resurrected. He has victory over my sin. And so who I am as a person is rooted in who he is and how he has done everything well and perfectly. And so though I will sin and make mistakes, none of that negates the fact that God is still sovereign over my life and that I belong to him. I love the passage in John 10, I believe, where Jesus is saying, you know, my sheep know my voice, they belong to me and no one can pluck them out of my father's hands. So there's no situation in my life, no matter how ill-equipped I feel, that is going to remove me from the Lord's, the safety of the Lord's hands. And I really find a lot of comfort in that. So even when we feel like we're not who everyone thinks we are, the Lord knows us. Mm-hmm. And, and if we belong to him, we belong to him. And so that is where our hope and our identity comes from, not in how well we perform, but in what he has done for us and how he has saved us and made us new. And I find that takes a lot of pressure off of me. <laughs> yes. Yes. So freeing. So free. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if we do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Okay. So I, you talked a little bit about being in ministry with your husband, you're a pastor's wife. Something mm-hmm. recently yeah. happened in y'all's ministry with, I think it was just the first of December when y'all, mm-hmm. um, let me read you exactly what okay. y'all have done. 
you have participated in a gospel-centered, racially diverse church merge. Yes. And I want to know all about it. I think it is awesome. And I think that, I think a lot of people will be encouraged by seeing this and maybe follow suit and do the same thing. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about it. It's been really miraculous to watch this unfold. When my husband and I moved to Missouri, the town that we live in is, has always been pretty racially segregated. My husband always tells the story. Um, I said earlier, everybody kind of roots for the home team. So we didn't have kids at the time. We didn't have kids in sports, but he went to one of the high, local high school basketball games and he went into the gymnasium and he said uh, it was pretty full. So we had to sit on the visitor side. So he's looking across at the home side of the mm-hmm. bleachers. And he said it was like you could draw a line halfway through the middle. So there were whites on one side and blacks on the other side. Wow. And he said, oh, that's a problem. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, as we you know, put down roots here, we realized there is a lot of racial segregation, specifically when it comes to the church. The churches are either predominantly white or predominantly black. Mm-hmm. And so what my husband and I did to really draw attention to the fact that we believed differently is we adopted our oldest son who is black and my husband and I are white. And then we adopted a second son who's biracial, black, white. And so our family is ethnically diverse. And yet, um, you know, raising my boys of color in a segregated town and in a church that was predominantly white, we just kept bumping up against the problem that somehow we were communicating to our sons that we can be unified. Like we can go to, my kids are in public school, so we can go to school and it be racially diverse, or we can go to the ball games and it be racially diverse. But when we come to church, it's not. And that is a problem because if anything should unify black, white, Hispanic, Asian, whatever, it should be the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it seems Mm. that the church hour is the most segregated hour of the week. And so my husband and I began praying probably six years ago about how can we have more diversity in our church without sacrificing what we believe about the gospel? Because sometimes in different, um, you know, denominations, some, some races or ethnicities kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They move to a denomination that is more predominantly that race. So perhaps we have more whites who are Baptists and more blacks who are Methodist or something to that extent. Those are just examples, but you know, how could we then worship together in a more diverse way without compromising what we believe about the gospel, you know, and how can you even bring denominations together, that sort of thing? Those are all really tricky questions. And we also didn't want to just go befriend people just for the sake of being diverse. That's, you know, really shallow. Mm -hmm. And so we just began praying and praying and praying and praying. And then a couple of years ago, my husband had taken our youth group to an event in our town. It was called a uh, fields of faith. I think it's put on by FCA. And so they basically bring everyone together at the football stadium and they let somebody come in and do like a presentation, gospel presentation. I mean, this is one of those things in small town life where, you know, it's good to be in a small town because you can get yeah. away with stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah. my husband had taken our youth group to this event and this guy got up to give a message and he was about my husband's age, about 40 black and he stood up and proclaimed the absolute beautiful truth of the gospel of Jesus. And my husband was like, who is this guy? (laughs) Why do I not know him? And so he Facebook stalked him until he found him (laughs) and then he messaged him and was like, look, I heard you speak. Can we like meet for coffee or lunch or something? And so they began meeting 
for lunch regularly and realized how much they had in common. And this guy's name was Kenny and he had grown up here in our town and then he had left and moved to St. Louis where he became a Christian and began following Jesus and then got involved in a racially diverse gospel center church in St. Louis. And I believe he was an elder there and just, you know, he was married and had kids and they loved their life there. And then the Lord called him back to Sykeston where we live now to pastor a small church. And he did not want to, mm. <laughs> he really liked his ministry and his life in St. Louis, but he felt like this is what the Lord was drawing him to do. So he and his family moved back here. And by the time my husband and Kenny met, I think he'd been pastoring for about two years and was just taking this small church, all black members, walking them through the scriptures week by week, week in, week out, week in, week out. And the church had had a history of uh, what I would call prosperity gospel, health, wealth, teaching. And so Kenny just went in and blew a hole in all of that mm -hmm, <laughs> and yeah. faithfully taught the gospel and the scriptures. And mm. he and William, my husband, just formed a friendship. And for two years, they met every week for barbecue and would talk about their ministries. And both our churches were in good, healthy places. It's not like we needed to merge because we were struggling, right. Right. but they just felt like it was one of those, hey, I think we could be better together. So what do you think about merging? And so it actually happened pretty quickly after that. And uh, Kenny's church was already in the process of voting to leave their denomination because of some of the views on doctrine and scripture um, in, in that denomination. So they went ahead and did that. They voted to leave it. And then we voted to merge last September. Uh, no, actually, I want to say last. No, I guess it was September because then we actually started meeting together the very next week. Wow. And but then we launched as a new church in December. So it's yeah. been um, gosh, uh, almost maybe five, six months, uh, since we started meeting together yeah. and it has been beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not without its struggles because we, it's like taking people you don't know and saying now, now be family with them, right. sure. <laughs> now be best sure. friends, even though you don't know each other's names. So like we still wear name tags every week, but yeah. we merged the two churches together and the pastors take turn preaching, take turns preaching and sharing responsibilities. They really are co-pastors. Yeah. And what's wonderful is that vo both churches voted almost mm. unanimously to do this merge. And what it has said to our, you know, segregated community is that Jesus is worth putting aside our differences and the unity that we have in Christ. Like I said a minute ago, before I am anything, I am a believer in Jesus. Before I'm a woman, before I'm a mom, before I'm, you know, this career or that career, this is what I am. I am a believer in Jesus and I belong to him. And so that is really how we are approaching our ministry before we are black, white, old, young, rich, poor, we are in Christ. And that means more than any of those other things. Any type of unity that we try to achieve racially is superficial if it's not first built on Jesus. And so those things are not going to last. The gospel, however, will last forever. And so that's a unity we can really take to the bank. And so we have merged and, you know, we're merging in all kinds of ways. We've merged our music, we've merged our teaching and our like roles as far as who does what in the church. And, uh, we're still working out the kinks. It's still pretty, you know, early days, but I mean, I wouldn't go back for anything. It's mm -hmm. been so wonderful to, for me personally, to take my two boys to church every Sunday and say, look at these godly believers who look just like you, you yeah. know, like I, I just, I can think of all the things I don't do right as a mom. I'm so thankful that the Lord has given us 
this opportunity so that when my kids are older, they can say, well, our parents didn't do a lot right, but they did fight for this. And this was important because representation matters. And if I want my boys to grow up believing in Jesus and following in him, and I do, I don't want them to think that Christianity is a white man's religion. I want them to see faithful followers of Jesus who look just like them and praise God, they see it every Sunday. And it is just such a gift. I'm so excited. I hope our our story has really um, gotten outside of our town. My uh, husband and his co-pastor have been interviewed many times, and I'm so hopeful that the Lord will do this kind of reconciliation in the church all over the country. I just, I hope that there is a stirring here. Oh, there is. And I, I remember seeing it and I was just so excited, so thrilled uh, for what y'all have done and what they have done to come together and to start this church. I think mm-hmm. that is huge. I think it is important for our kids to see, no mm-hmm. matter if they are black or white, that our mm-hmm. kids need to see this. Yes. Um, and I think that is, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah. There's something that you are doing in your own personal life <clears throat> to mm-hmm. really uh, maybe step out and kind of be friends to people that you don't know yet in church. What have you done every Sunday? Oh, so every Sunday I sit. So we have a meal every Sunday after church and I make it. And I'm all for that. I'm all for that. Oh man. Well, I mean, we are Baptists. So if we do anything well, we potluck well. That's right, girl. (laughs) We have themed meals every week. And so like uh, we had... <clears throat> oh, the men had to do a chili cook-off this past Sunday. And yes. so this coming Sunday, we have Italian food. And what's been fun since the merge is now we have a soul food Sunday, which is probably my favorite one of all. Yes, <laughs> so, absolutely. Um, yeah, so since we um, are doing that each week, I make it my goal to sit somewhere different each meal and to sit with someone I haven't sat with before. Mm-hmm. And that is really outside of my personality. I though I like doing stuff like this, I am very much an introvert at the core. And so Mm -hmm. sitting down with people I don't know and starting a conversation is not what I would call a gift of mine, but it's something that the Lord is working out in me regardless. Um, And I feel that it's also a place where I can say, hey, being all in on this church merge is going to cost me something. So it's going to cost me some comfort. And so I'm going to go and sit with people I don't know but oh my goodness, I never regret it. So I just sit down with people I don't know and say, I look at their name tag and then say, oh, hey, I'm so-and-so. And because I'm one of the pastor's wives and I also lead worship, they know who I am, but I don't always know who everyone else is. So sitting with people and just asking about their lives and hearing you know, these people who are now my fellow church members, they're my church family, brothers and sisters, and hearing how differently they grew up from me and how differently they were raised and, you know, coming from a different background racially, there's just a lot of differences, but then hearing how much they love the Lord and what drew them to him, that is where we, you know, that's what we have in common. And I have just, I've loved that. Just there's something about sitting across the table from people and sharing a meal and just asking questions. I think that goes so much farther than even sitting next to one another in Sunday school, though I do think that's really valuable that we, you know, try to be all in and all the ways that we can. There's just something about that intentional, I'm going to sit and I'm going to get to know you as a person. Mm. How did you come to faith in Christ? And, who, you know, how did you grow up? And seeing our differences, but then also seeing our, the things that we have in common in Jesus. So, so good for me. I've really, really enjoyed that. 
I love that so much. How can we get out of our groups and our circles Mm -hmm. and really come alongside people that don't look like us? How can we do that? I mean, this was the question I was asking six years ago. How do I diversify my life? You know, Mm. at the time it was for the sake of my son. And now I know that it's also for my own sake as well, because you know, the promise of heaven is that we will worship around the throne with people from every tribe, tongue, nation, every ethnicity will be represented in heaven. And so our prayer at Grace Rebel Fellowship, since we merged has been, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let us represent in the way that we worship what it will be like when we are worshiping around the throne one day. And depending on your context, you know, if you have a listener in Texas, that's probably going to be more like, you know, whites and Hispanics worshiping together or being more intentional. Some of that is geographical, depending on where you live. Mm -hmm. For us, it's definitely the white black relationship where we are in Missouri. But, you know, I began, my husband and I began with prayer because we didn't want in any way to say, Hey, I need a token black friend. I mean, how insulting, mm-hmm. you know, right. like right. that's, that's a one way self-serving um, mm. type of relationship. And so we were just praying, Lord, can you add friends of color to our life for the sake of our boys, for the sake of our hearts? And we began praying, um, one thing that we did that year was enroll our oldest son in a sports league and just praying, you know, help us to sit in the bleachers and be conscious of who we're with and befriend people, be kind, strike up conversations. Again, these are things outside of my comfort zone as an introvert, Mm -hmm, but still those types of just being intentional to not always gravitate towards people who look like you. And that is so easy to do. It's almost ingrained in us. Like we are going to sit with people who look like us, who talk like us. And that can really even be like socioeconomically, you know, people who are the same like pay scale as we are, people who dress like us, that sort of thing. So I think it begins, you know, begin praying and then begin looking for ways to be intentionally kind and reach out to people who are not like you. So that might mean sitting somewhere at a ball game that you ordinarily wouldn't sit. Um, It might mean, I mean, for me at the time, I was a white woman taking my black son into a black barber shop every week, which was really uncomfortable for me as, you know, a white person and as a white woman being the only woman in the barber shop and thinking I'm doing this for my son. And it's good Mm. for me to feel like a minority for once Mm. because I am majority culture and I never know what it's like to feel like a minority. So every week I would take my son into the barber shop and it would be a sigh of relief for him, you know, mm. being in a room full of black men. It was just good. He could take a deep breath and feel normal. For me, I felt completely out of place as a woman and as a white person. And so feeling that minority just status just for an hour a week was mm. so enlightening for me and helped me see that my black friends live in majority culture all the time. And so this is how they feel much of the time. Oh, so good for me. I also began reading books that were more diverse, reading books by women of color, men of color, just trying to understand a perspective that I didn't grow up with. And um, so I think that just being intentional, conscientious, looking for ways, but 100% praying that the Lord would help you to cultivate friendships with people who are different from you. And I really think that expands beyond race. I think it expands to people who are older than you maybe, or if you're seasoned, you know, maybe someone who's younger than you or someone who makes a lot more money or someone who makes a lot less money. I mean, just that tendency to gravitate towards people exactly like us Mm -hmm. just makes for a very, you know, homogenized world. And as believers, 
heaven's not going to look like that. And so I don't think we should be always gravitating towards people who are exactly like us. And so I don't know if that's helpful. I'm still in the learning process, but maybe it is. <laughs> that's great. No, I appreciate that so much and uh, your perspective on it and uh, for enlightening that. Okay. We're out of time. I'm so oh, sad. I can talk and I can talk all day. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just sad because um, we are coming to the end, but I appreciate you so much. But I do want to ask these fun three questions. Yes. Um, we do have, you do have a book coming out in June and, um, I can't wait for you to tell us a little bit about that and tell us where we can find you. Uh, let's talk about what are you eating, reading and loving, and then you can share with us about that. Okay. Eating. So I recently discovered Lily's chocolate bars. Have you ever had these? No. Okay. Target carries them now. Okay. They're expensive. They're like almost $4 a bar. Okay. <laughs> so I only get them occasionally. Okay. So they are a really good high quality chocolate, but they're sweetened with stevia and you, oh. can, and you cannot tell. And so, I mean, I've tried plenty of sugar-free chocolate. My husband's diabetic. So I've tried a lot oh, of okay. sugar-free stuff over the years. These yeah. are so good in the salted caramel one. That's the one. Okay. Oh, yeah. Now, <laughs> that is, is that, a fun treat. Is that good for you? Can you have everything in that or is that just like, oh a yeah, no, nope. okay. I can have everything in it because it's pure sure. cocoa and Stevia instead it's of stevia. sugar. Yeah. And okay. it's really, it's a little salt. Yeah. It's good stuff. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's awesome. All right. So that's yeah. what you're eating. I love it. Yes. Sounds good. Okay. What was next? Reading? What are you reading? Okay. So I am an avid fiction reader and I've like just blow through books. I probably should be more disciplined with nonfiction <laughs> <laughs> with like Christian living books, but I, I mean, I read more than I watch TV, you know, so yeah. I, um, that's a good thing. A, yeah. I mean, it's at least good for my brain. I feel yeah. like, even though it's fiction. um, I read a book last month that I am still thinking about. Hmm. It's called this tender land by William Kent Kruger. And actually somebody from Instagram recommended it to me. Okay. And I read it in about three days and it was kind of like adventures of Huckleberry Finn meets oh. East like a river by Leif Anger, which is a more contemporary novel. But, okay. um, it was beautifully written, very poignant, a little bit hard in some places, mm. um, told from the point of view of a 12 year old boy, which is not something I would gravitate towards, but the book had such great reviews. So I was like, I'm going to read it okay. and I don't want to give the plot away, but it is excellent. And if you are a Christian reading it, it will definitely challenge you because the views of the protagonist about God are definitely not biblical, but it will help you understand what a lot of the world thinks about what, Mm. like what they think you believe as a Christian, Mm. which is probably not true. Right. Um, But it was, I don't know, it was a really helpful lens, but also a really compelling story. I could not put that book down. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. And what are you loving? Um, What am I loving? Well, I think spring is here in Southeast Missouri. It's I early. We I know we barely had winter, to be honest. We had no snow, mm-hmm. nothing like that. But right. um, it was 62 degrees out yesterday. I took yes. my kids outside for like four hours. Uh, they played basketball. They played in the backyard. We blew bubbles. And I thought, oh, I have missed this. <laughs> I am, am going to do it again this afternoon. I just love sitting out on my back patio. I read while they play. And yes. it's just one of my favorite things. That's awesome. That's great. That's a good thing to love. Cause it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So tell us a little bit about where we can find you online and yeah. um, read your books and all that. So tell yeah, us about so it. So the best place to find me is just to go to my blog, which is just glennamarshall.com. 
Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as Glenna D. Marshall because somebody else had the username Glenna Marshall. <laughs> but I am on Facebook as Glenna Marshall. Okay. And um, so my first book, The Promise This Is Presence, came out in August. You can find it anywhere you buy books online. And then my second book, Everyday Faithfulness, comes out with Crossway and the Gospel Coalition in June. It will also be everywhere that you buy books online, but it will likely also be in some of your bookstores like Barnes and Noble, that sort of thing, okay. um, which is exciting. Um, and it's just a book on really in whatever season of life that you find yourself in, if you are in Christ, God's call to you is faithfulness. And as Christians, we should view faithfulness to God differently than the world would view it. So you know, when times get tough, when we walk through suffering or we're busy, we're raising kids or maybe caring for an elderly parent, when we're discouraged, whatever season we're in, sometimes the tendency is to back away from maybe church involvement or reading your Bible or prayer. But as Christians, we survive those seasons differently by leaning more towards Christ rather than away. And that is what anchors us in faithfulness so that one day we will see him face to face and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Um, so it's just a book about ordinary perseverance in the life of the believer. Here's how God has equipped us and given us the gift of faithfulness. And here's how to employ that gift when life is hard. So yeah, very um, short, practical book. I really enjoyed writing it. Yeah. Well, I love practical books and I love the cover of it where there's a calendar on the Yeah, front. there's a and calendar. Like, yes, yes, that's, I love that. I love it. Yeah. When the graphic designer sent me the cover, I was like, oh, I don't know that I would change anything. I think you guys yeah. nailed it. <laughs> it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. It looks very inviting. So yeah. Well, Glenna, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, for sharing these quotes with me yeah. and sharing your story about uh, your life and your God story. So I really mm. appreciate your words of encouragement today. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Ren. I really enjoyed it. Well, while I was editing this episode, there were so many nods of my head and so many yes, and that's good. Glenna shared so much, but what I love most about her is how open she is and how focused she is on Jesus and the gospel. Thank you for joining me on this episode today. If you loved our conversation, I would be honored if you would leave a review for the podcast. You can do it on your podcast app right on your phone. And I have a giveaway going on right now for those of you who have left a review or if you are headed to review the podcast right now. So how do you enter? You leave a review, you screenshot it, and send it to me. Easy peasy. You can email it, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook and message it to me. And what do you have a chance of winning? A $25 gift card to Amazon. Okay, that's going to do it today. Remember, we're all friends of a feather, so let's stick together. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time. Bye, friend.